Hello and welcome to the Web3 podcast. I'm your host, Callum Woodcock. And if you have no idea what's going on in the crypto markets right now or where the bottom is, join the club. The good news is that if you've learned anything from past experience, bear markets are where the most interesting projects get built. With that theme in mind, I'm delighted to welcome Prez Thomas to the show. Prez is the founder of Dank Bank, a Web3 company that allows its users to own a fraction of some of the most iconic memes from history, like Bad Luck Brian, Success Kid, and even the original Doge. Prez, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Your, your introduction makes me feel very safe. <laughs> That's the idea. Brilliant, Prez. So to kick us off, I would love to hear about your background and how you first ended up in Web3. I, just a little over a year ago, was in college. And my, my, my interest in Web3 was really sparked by uh, the co-founder of Dank Bank, whose name is Harry Jones. He, very early on, I think he's always been a bit of a gambler with his crypto. Uh, and so that was really his initial foray. But then he became very interested in information markets. So using markets to bet on the outcome of real world events. And uh, I first got into that around the 2020 election. And so I was betting a lot on the outcome of the different state votes and things like that. And that, that, that was really my, my first foray into it. Then few months down the line, I, I was introduced to NFTs. I thought that was really interesting because I've always, I, I come from a creative background, you know, at Think Bank, I do marketing. I'm, I'm really not uh, like tech savvy at all. I'm, I'm very inept with, with computers and like, I don't even understand how information travels through wires or where the light on the screen comes from. But so, so, so NFTs represented this really great marriage of, of tech and art that made a lot of sense to me. And, and, and I was hooked. And, and then, you know, the opportunity to sell means for a living arose. And that was too good to pass up pretty in there with this idea of investing in absurdity. I like it. And with that theme in mind, then investing in absurdity, absurdity, what is Dank Bank in your own words? I gave you a bit of a description there as an introduction, but I'm sure it didn't do you guys justice. Yeah. So, how, so how, what is it and how does it work? So like, we're kind of like Ghostbusters, but instead of gust- busting ghosts, we find people who've created legendary memes and viral videos. And we work out deals with them where we basically acquire the meme, mint it as an NFT, fractionalize it into usually some number with like a 4269 in it. So let's say 420,690 <laughs> fractions, right? And then you can trade and collect those those fractions on the site. Um, so it allows you to to own little bits of, of the real deal, the OG memes from your childhood that, you know, have, have defined our culture, how we speak and how we communicate. And you can look at them and appreciate them and, and flex on your friends that you own them. I love uh, it. So Ghostbusters, but nothing nothing to do with Ghostbusters at all. I love it. Uh- yeah, except it's pretty freakish. <laughs> So, so what memes do you actually own? What memes are, are are on the platform? Are in the are in the bank? We've got we've got around a dozen memes that are, you can be actively traded on the platform right now, and that includes uh, we got Bad Luck Brian, Ten Guy. Uh, we have both Doge and Feisty Doge, which were fractionalized prior to Dank Bank. There's some of the very very OG fractionalized memes, but you can trade them on the site. We've got I ain't never seen two pretty best friends. 
That's a personal favourite of yours, I believe. Yeah, I love that <laughs> meme so much. We've got Hi OK. I think if you were to go through the site, you would recognize probably like 90% of the memes that are on there because we've, we've made an effort to find only the dankest, most legendary uh, content to begin with. Stuff that has that pre-existing inherent cultural value. So, so talking about that cultural value then, you mentioned you're, you're pretty much just out of college. So does that make you 23, 20, 24? Uh, 22. 22. Okay, wow. You're, uh, you're really making me feel insecure at my own age. But, um, you know, we, we spoke on the prep call for this podcast about how, obviously, you're very young. Memes are, I think it's fair to say, associated with, with youth culture. You know, I'm, I'm 28 and I grew up with you know, bad luck, Brian, for example, as a teenager. Yeah. Is this reflected in your customer base or have they got this kind of universal appeal? Uh, you definitely get younger people buying memes, you know, because to, I think most, I think most people under 40, right? Something like Pepe the Frog is going to be far more significant to you and recognizable than like a Rembrandt or a Vermeer. So you can very easily rationalize why this is an investment-worthy, important asset, right? I think with the passage of time as we get older and as these memes continue to appreciate, real art collectors will, will start to appreciate them. Older people will start to appreciate them for their, for their cultural significance and for their prowess. And, but, but at the moment, it's certainly a lot easier for young people to make sense of it. And, and because of that, we see predominantly 30, 30 and below yeah. in terms of age. No, that makes total sense. And I, I think the, the, the point you just made there on how these memes have really helped define a culture or a fraction of a culture over time is something that people who might dismiss, well, NFTs as fads, but meme NFTs as, as a fad, kind of, I think that would make sense to them. So I was explaining what what Dank Bank do before I was recording this episode to my to my dad. Yeah. And obviously the, the idea that you could buy memes just completely baffled him. But I compared it to, and he's a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Imagine owning or or even owning a fraction of the first Springsteen album ever published or the first Springsteen song ever written. And he immediately got it because that's culturally significant for his generation. So yeah, I think that's I think that's a really interesting point. And you know, I know you've just raised a, a recent round of investment. So that's obviously something that resonates with with your investors as well. Can you tell us about what the response from, you know, the investors you took this idea to was? You know, did they did they take you guys seriously from the outset? I mean, I know you raised quite a lot of money. I won't spoil for the listeners how how much you have raised, but what was the initial reaction from the investment community like when you said, hey, we're going to fractionalize and sell memes? It's like shockingly good. You would think that most people who have succeeded in life would find the idea of selling memes really ludicrous, but there were a surprising number of people who thought it was a great idea. And I think it's because they, you know, they are still relatively young. Hmm. A lot of the people at these VCs are probably between 25 and 35. So, so they, they are very much products of the internet. And I think they, they appreciate how NFTs allow us to ascribe ownership to mm -hmm. these assets and ascribing ownership of these assets makes them collectibles. You know, like you were saying, mm. owning a, a first edition Springsteen album mm. is significant because the album has that cultural significance and to own a, a particularly sought after, I think they appreciate them as being collectibles. I think yeah. sometimes, like you said, it, it, it's, it's a little misguided to think of memes as being art. 
because we rationalize the value of expensive art by talking about like Michelangelo uses techniques that no other artist of his era had mastered. And it's, and it's you know, no one's really ever going to analyze bad luck, Brian. And look, look at the, the texture and the colors. <laughs> it's so, but, but you could appreciate it for its collectible value. You know, yeah. we can now identify the original image, the, the original iteration of an image that has been viewed billions of times over. Yes. And it has impacted, you know, many millions of people's lives. Uh, yes. I, I, and, I, do and I think when you think about it like that, it makes a lot of sense. I, I completely agree. And, and can we quickly talk about how much, how much investment did you raise? So, well, yeah, we raised 4.2, we raised $4,269,000. That's fantastic. Did you go out with the intention of raising that much money or did it just fall into place when you were speaking to investors? You were like, hey, we sell memes, our fundraisers, we're going to live and breathe this, our fundraisers in itself going to be a meme. Yeah, I think at every milestone we got to, we wanted to get those, the weed and the sex number in there. So there, for a time we were sitting at 3.69420. Mm. And then we got, you know, another, another individual was interested, put in some money that brought us above four. So we had to get to 4.20. And, uh, you know, investors were, were happy to to enable that just for the meme it's so in in line with our with our brand could you tell me about your revenue model so how does how does dank bank make money as today it doesn't we operate entirely using the the funds that we've raised we don't take a commission or fees the ambition is to ultimately fully decentralize And, and when that happens when there is a governance token we start taking revenue we start taking a fee and then that's kicked back to all the holders. But as we are currently a more centralized entity, we kind of want to master the platform first. We don't want to hinder our growth by taking fees. I think I think the name of the game is is growing the platform to a point where it's self-sustainable. And then once we do start making revenue, making sure that users are, are seeing that revenue. A real Web3 business then? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying to be very ideal in the way that we go about while we're centralized not imposing too much as a centralized entity, really taking feedback from our users and making sure we're building a product that is reflective of what they want. And then, yeah, ideally decentralizing in the, in the truest form and totally democratizing ownership of the company. That's incredible. That's actually not something we discussed during our prep call either. So I'm really impressed that that is the the end vision. I guess then, you know, since, you're, since you feel strongly about how Web3 companies should look, what do you see as the future of the Web3 space? Maybe you want to reduce the scope of this question purely to like the the future of the meme economy. But yeah, what do you see? Where do you see this market headed? I think the novelty, we have to to find ways to, like functionally speaking, I think a DAO is a great idea, right? Mm -hmm. You give everyone who works within an establishment a financial incentive to grow it. Because mm-hmm. if the establishment grows, operates more effectively and efficiently, you see that upside because you're an owner in it. I think that's a very beautiful functional thing that is kind of being misused. We, we use DAOs for very novel purposes. Mm-hmm. We really use like, NFTs in their current state are really novel. I think mm-hmm. the real like apex predator of NFT adoption is going to be really just for storing information on chain and moving it lightning fast. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're using it exclusively for art, really, at this point, it, it 
I think that makes it easy for people to make sense of how the blockchain and NFTs work, but it's not a very promising value proposition in the long term. It's like mm -hmm. the, the ceiling on the growth of the NFT and Web3 space, it just being a, a vehicle for us to exchange pictures of monkeys is pretty low. Um, but I think once we start seeing companies operating more like DAOs in a, in a more truly decentralized way, where, where the people who are at the top can still retain their, their majority voting power. I think the thing that scares companies about decentralizing is, is this idea that they'll lose a grip on how the company should be run. When in reality, if, if equity, for lack of a better word, is distributed, proportional to, to say, the people at the top still rue the day, right? But it allows everyone an opportunity to voice their opinions, to vote on the big decisions that need to be made. And it also incentivizes them not to just think of themselves as like a cog in a machine or a lowly employee, but rather someone who's got skin in the game. And, and you know, the, and I think incentive alignment is, yeah. is, is, is what will make companies realize the, the, the real benefits of, of decentralizing. Yeah. We had a very interesting episode recently, uh, shameless plug for my own podcast here, um, but I think series two, episode four, um, we had Yuri Lifshitz on from SuperDAO and he had a really interesting take on using a DAO as like an alternative fundraise. So selling token holders to people that want, you know, some of the upside, but also want to be involved in the decision-making process, almost as like like the ultimate version of build in public, right? They've got skin in the game. They're going to be, you know, holding the founders accountable to an original vision that was laid out um, and, and helping them make those key decisions. But at the same time, you might have possibly a private company or, or certainly like a steering committee, which is made up of maybe the founders and the people that they've hired who then might have distributed equity. Yeah. Um, so when, you know, when you, you're selling the plat, when you're, when, when they go to, to, to make a sale of the company itself, there's, I don't know, I think there's an interesting dynamic that could be at play there, and I'm not sure how that will play out. Yeah, definitely. It'll be really interesting to see. You know, once it becomes, once the financial incentives are there for companies to to decentralize, to, re mm. to rethink the way they reward their employees, it'll happen super quickly. Yeah. And, and that might, the, the thing that causes that might be the larger Web3 companies today really thriving uh, mm. with, with more of a DAO yeah, format. Yeah. It's really interesting and also it raises questions along the lines of like recruitment. You know, you can, at the moment, DAOs aren't, you know, they're not limited companies. You don't need paperwork while employing someone. And obviously that will be attractive both for freelancers that want to work within those DAOs, but also you know, the people running those DAOs themselves. So yeah, it's going to be an, an interesting ride. Um, I've got a another question for you. So looking at the memes that you have within your vault, I suppose, at Dank Bank that you can fractionalize. Yeah. Um, we, there, there, a lot of them are kind of famous historic memes. So you mentioned like Doge, Doge there, and you mentioned Bad Luck Brian, Success Kid, all of these like late 2010s memes. Obviously, since then, we've kind of had memes spring up like on Vine, as was now increasingly TikTok. It seems, from my own experience of looking at memes, that trends are much more short-lived than they were even five years ago. Do you think that's the case? And if so, how is that going to affect the, the I suppose, the virality of, of like, you know, 2022 memes versus 2011 memes, for example? Uh, I, first of all, I think you're definitely right. You know, like the short format 
has is dominating mm-hmm. you know first you had youtube video first you had still images mm-hmm. then you had youtube videos which could be between a few minutes and an hour right mm-hmm. then you had vines now you've got tiktok so we've really mastered getting tons of short form content in front of people yeah. and so i think what you see is whereas a viral image macro in 2008 you know in certain instances can stay relevant for years just continually mm-hmm. getting recycled to reflect a new meaning uh Today, we, we have memes that, that really only have like three-day life cycles. You know, the, mm. the barge that got stuck in the Suez Canal, the fly that landed on Mike Pence's head during the vice presidential debates. Like those things go insanely viral. And then within 72 hours, no one yeah. ever thinks about them again. To that end, you know, the, the end goal with Dank Bank is to turn it into a real free market for memes where yep. anyone can upload content and ideally we can make we can integrate minting content into the current process of just tweeting using instagram using snapchat uploading Mm. to youtube so easily that we're creating enough content on chain that you can invest in that virality in real time i think the ultimate value proposition for the meme economy is not necessarily investing in things that have already established themselves as having that long-term inherent cultural value like bad luck brian but basically making bets on who the next TikToker that's going to blow up is going to be like what mm. the next viral song is going to be like, you know, what is the next walkie slush going to be? That's, uh, that's really, that's a really interesting point because I suppose that's also a way for new artists to fund themselves. You know, they exactly from their like initial fan group who back them, which I think, is, you know, actually carries huge real world implications and it's not simply like, speculation i suppose you know it's if someone wants to invest in i don't know a new upcoming singer they're going to do so because they like that singer's music yeah um as opposed to you know necessarily oh we're definitely going to be rewarded when this goes when this goes supersonic or whatever it's not dissimilar from that uh springsteen comment you Mm. made earlier right it's like if you you think an artist is going to do really well you collect their merch when they go Mm. on tour you you buy their vinyls because you know that if they really ascend, then those things are going to have that collectible value in the long term. And this is just like a far more intuitive way of doing that. Yeah. It's literally investing in, in the success of the creators and their specific content. Because people, some creators create viral content on a regular basis. But mm. a lot of people create a one-off meme that goes super viral, right? Yeah. So the ability to invest in both of those things is what I think is super exciting about the potential future of the meme economy and of, of Bank Bank. It's actually a really interesting point. I was expecting I was expecting a less profound conversation when um, when when I had you on this show. So it's this is a really interesting under take. promise over deliver. That's yeah, the exactly. Bank creed. <laughs> exactly. I wish you'd warned me. I'd have thought of more highbrow things to say. Um, so okay, I appreciate we're nearly at time. So I would love for you to 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 let our audience know what the resources that have had a profound impact on you through your life and through your career. Yeah, definitely. I've been thinking about this a lot and my ultimate, the thing I've ultimately arrived at is very, very underwhelming, but I do think incredibly powerful. When I was first trying to understand Web3, mm-hmm. uh, I was turning largely to internet resources and I was reading lots of essays and, and blogs and, and they were all, I found them tremendously confusing. Mm. Uh, not only can I hardly read to begin with, but the technical language that most people use within describing Web3 to to a noob is 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 virtually indecipherable. Yeah, and uh, my co-founder Harry, he had his interest in Web three was a few months advanced of mine, and 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 he was 
following a lot of people. He, he had already found his way onto like crypto Twitter, right? Which mm -hmm. at that time I knew nothing about. And he said, look up my account, follow every person that I follow, check Twitter every single day and you will learn everything you need to know through osmosis. Uh, and I think there was so much merit to that. Because what I found is, you know, there are a lot of very intelligent people on Twitter who, because of the short form nature of Twitter, are forced to explain very advanced concepts in very, very brief, digestible ways. And I think a, a month of really just passively observing trends and dialogues on Twitter, listening to how influencers and market makers reacted to certain events, to certain art sales, to mm. new protocols. Yeah taught me a lot more than just about any any particular academic resource so so yeah spend more time on twitter <laughs> so your advice is follow harry's twitter and follow all his followers yes follow all the people he's following rather yeah okay that's great I think that's if, yeah you just immerse you know learning through osmosis there's a lot of merit to it and and, okay. and the beautiful thing about crypto is that manifests in the form of just scrolling through twitter yeah i mean that's certainly been my experience a really good point about you know the short form nature of it as well perfect okay well Prez, if anyone wants to get in touch with you after listening to this episode to ask any questions on the meme economy or on anything you've just said, what are the best platforms to reach out on? We were very active on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is DankBankHQ. Nice. Uh, we are very active on Discord, which you can find by going to DankBankHQ on Twitter and clicking the link in our bio. <laughs> uh, let's see. If you scream, if you go on like any given street corner and just scream for a long enough period of time, we'll probably show up. Or if you make a viral meme, we'll reach out to you. Those were the four best ways of getting in touch with Thank Day. Amazing. Prez, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. A huge thank you to our new friend of the show, Prez Thomas, for appearing on this podcast. And thank you, the listener, for listening to another great conversation. To check out the show notes, see upcoming guests and play more episodes from our incredible lineup of Web3 entrepreneurs, creators and thought leaders, please visit theweb3podcast.xyz. You'll find us on all your favourite podcast channels, that means Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Anchor, Google or pretty much anywhere else. And if you enjoyed this episode, please let me know. You can find me on Twitter, I'm at Callum Wooders or you can drop me an email at callum at theweb3podcast.xyz. If there's a Web3 related topic that you'd like to hear explored on this pod, I'd love to hear about that too. This has been the Web3 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.